Hi, this is Ivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Leslie Lair is the author of A Boob's Life, How America's Obsession Shaped Me and You. Leslie explores the duality of today's women to navigate a new path between sexy and sacred. She's a prize-winning novelist and nonfiction writer whose books include What a Mother Knows, a Target-recommended read, Wife Goes On, and 66 Laps, which was winner of the Pirates Alley Faulkner Prize. Her nonfiction books include Welcome to Club Mom, Club Grandma, excerpted on FisherPrice.com, and Wendy Bellissimo, Nesting, featured on Oprah. Leslie's personal essays have appeared in the New York Times Modern Love column and was narrated by Katie Couric on NPR, HuffPost, Your Tango, and in anthologies including Mommy Wars, The Honeymoon's Over, and On Becoming Fearless. She wrote the original screenplays for the indie romantic thriller Heartless and the comedy drama Club Divorce. Leslie has also worked in film production, including Prince's Sign of the Times, Charles Bukowski's Barfly, and the cult thriller Witchboard. She has a BA from the USC School of Cinematic Arts, where she won a student Emmy, and an MFA from Antioch. A breast cancer survivor, she is chemo chick on sickofpink.com. Leslie is the novel consultant for Truby Writers Studio and taught for 10 years in the writers program at UCLA. Leslie is a judge for the WFWA Debut Novel Contest, a member of Penn, the Authors Guild, WGA, Women in Film, the ACLU, and the Women's Leadership Council of LA. Leslie has two daughters, two cats, and lives with her husband as close to the beach as possible in Southern California. Welcome, Leslie. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss a boob's life. I'm so excited to be here. I'm a super fan. I'm so excited <laughs> you're here. As I mentioned to you, I've had your book for like, I don't know. Almost, no, couldn't have been a year, six months or something. And so I've been just like super excited to talk to you about it. And do you think about your boobs all the time and think about the book and when you put your bra on in the morning and I mean, everybody has to deal with their boobs every day. I just put my bra on and hope it fits. <laughs> Let this not <laughs> and, be too tight today. Yeah. And during COVID though, you can just, you know, COVID yep. kind of killed the bra in a lot of ways. Yes. I feel like I've moved more into sports bras on a regular basis. Oh, me too. I'm, I'm wearing a real one for you special today, but Thank otherwise you. it's all sports. <laughs> <laughs> Although actually I should, I don't even know. I just got this one, which I can show you because it matches your cover. Oh, that's nice. I feel like I should give this to you. No, I'm, no, I'm wearing a blue one today too. Are you? I've never yeah. had a blue one before and yeah. there you go. It, it was meant to be. I don't think I bought a new bra in like years. Anyway. Well, bravo. I got some special ad for that color and I was like, okay, sure. It's my favorite yeah. color. Anyway. And I hadn't even had time to put it away. There we go. Okay. Anyway, a boob's life, how America's obsession shaped me and you. I've had this by the way, on the floor of my son's room for the last couple of days. And he keeps being like boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's like, why are you reading about boobs? Anyway, so why are you writing about boobs? Why don't we start there? Because, well, why I started writing is because I got out of the shower one night and I had gone through breast cancer and we were in this cool new place to live and we were supposed to have this romantic evening. And I looked in the mirror and my boobs were crooked and I was so angry. And I, I knew I was just grateful to be alive, but I just thought, 
I suddenly kind of rehashed my whole life after everything I'd been through with my boobs. Couldn't they be perfect? And I wanted to fix them so bad. My husband said I was obsessed and I'm a feminist. I was totally insulted by that. It's like, how could I be obsessed, obsessed by boobs? And so I kind of settled down and we watched TV and David Letterman was doing his last week on the late show. And he's like the famous comedian for being smart, right? He got the Mark Twain award and everything. And all these stars were guesting. And on his monologue, top of the monologue, he tells a boob joke. And not just a boob joke, but about J-Lo, who was producing a new fabulous series that was a huge hit, I think Pacific Blues or something. And I looked at my husband and was like, I'm not the only one if it's true. And it's like date night was off. He went to bed and we had just moved in. So I had all these boxes and I thought, okay, it. why am I obsessed? This is a weird thing. And I started going through my scrapbooks and I did call my doctor first to say, you know, left a message about oh, my boobs. And I... I mean, I know people who, breast cancer people who spend like two years of surgeries to get their boobs back. Anyway, I looked through my scrap, my scrapbooks, you know, the old fashioned kind where you actually cut out articles and clippings and newspaper and song lyrics and with pictures. And I thought, wow, you know, this is bigger than just me. And I saw this old picture of me and my sister and my mom, and we all have red bikinis on. It's in the book. Exactly. And I remember I just looking at that picture makes me laugh because my one and a half year old sister has this teeny tiny. Yeah, we have this teeny tiny strips, right? And my sister could not keep it on her nipples. I mean, she's one and a half, but I was three and it was a big deal. And I realized, wow, I knew at three years old how taboo breasts were. And I thought, yeah, this is totally my next book. <laughs> so I had I had to figure it out. And I didn't know if I'd ever write another book because I had chemo brain for a really long time. My like analytics side came back. I was working with other writers, but creatively. And then suddenly it was just like, oh no, no, this is, I have to explore it. And so I had to kind of use my life. And honestly, I'm very nervous about what everyone's going to think about my personal life. But I had to use it myself because it turns out my whole life time-wise was an example of all this stuff that happened in the United States that made us obsessed with boobs in a way that's beyond biology. Your book, it's interesting how you use that, but it's really your life story, right? I mean, it's really a beautiful memoir and you were able to weave in really unique sort of like packaging for it almost with the boob thing, especially with breast cancer. And I'm so sorry that that happened and all of it, but it's, it, it's at its core. This is a beautiful memoir about your life and everything from like diving off the high board to falling in love and having your core, the course of your life get knocked off. And I mean, it's really, I don't know. I just loved it. I loved it is what I'm saying. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, there there is some stuff that happened in my life that didn't have to do with my boobs that isn't in it. Okay. But I just thought, you know, I really, most women can look at their lives from puberty, wanting big, bigger boobs, you know, the cheerleaders and Playboy and Victoria's Secret and wanting all that. And then having to hide your boobs to work, showing them to date, and then getting bigger to breastfeed and then getting all saggy and droopy afterwards. And then lot many, most popular elective surgery is breast implants. And one out of eight of us gets breast cancer. So it seemed like okay. the stages of my life were really similar to many women today and nobody had looked at that huge, that whole picture. I mean, I found books on breast cancer, books on breastfeeding. And if you Google breasts, you'll also get chicken recipes. <laughs> I know that was so funny. <laughs> but if you Google boobs, it's mostly porn and nobody, I mean, breasts aren't, they're an organ that makes blood in a milk. And yet there's not even a medical specialty just for breasts. So I thought I, I, I couldn't find, it's like, 
you know, Toni Morrison, I said, I think said, if you haven't found the book you want to read, you have to write it or something like that. I'm misquoting her, but it was like, this was the book I needed to see someone's whole breast, whole life from the breast perspective and to see how much the culture has affected how I feel about me, how I feel about my body, how I judge other women and how really it's held us back even in terms of childcare and abuse and all this kind of stuff. So, but there's a lot of funny stuff, you know, with, as you know, <laughs> so yeah. You had one line in there, which now, of course, I can't find now that I want to quote it back to you, but it was something like how at work, your whole, you had to cover up your breasts. And yet as a, as a new mom at home, like they were the sole foundation of your survival, your baby's survival and everything. And how- And my identity. And your identity as a mom, right? Like that's what you're doing. It's amazing. Like the physical handling that is involved in breastfeeding. (laughs) You know. I know. Yes. I have four four kids. kids. Oh my gosh. Going from like being, you know, conservative in one respect and then like literally like having your shirt flown open, you know, walking around the house that way. And how it, that makes you question like, well, who are you really? If these are the two parts of your life, like what, what is you, the essence of you right then? I don't know. I found that so interesting. Exactly. I did too. <laughs> That's, why I That's why you wrote about it, maybe? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wait, let, can we talk a little about your breast cancer? Sure. Because I know that I know that came later in the book and I loved all the intro, not intro, the preamble to the breast cancer, which was the bulk of the book anyway, but just take me a little bit through that and how that's now affected, not just, just how it's changed, how it changed the course of your life, how it, and how you see it now. Well, I was completely surprised by it. I don't have the BRCA gene and most people think that you do if you get it and 85% of us don't. And I was totally healthy. You know, I exercised, ate a lot of vegetables. And when I look back at it though, I did have a lot of drama and stress in my life from like my family and my ex-husband at that time. And, you know, the regular drama you have with a lot of kids and and just life. And I had always been the person who like took care of business. Right. And I I really think that your emotions and lack of self-care affect your immune system. And in fact, there's this gene that I found out that actually can trigger a weakness in your immune system so that women are more vulnerable to breast cancer. But so when I got it, it was a total surprise and I wasn't good at self-checks. And although 40% of people who are diagnosed find their own thing. So do that. I'm a bad example, but I got a mammogram and I was like, oh, there's a thing, whatever, I'll do it again. I'm a half glass full person. I'm like, nothing's wrong with me. And the radiologist was, uh, no, if it was my wife, I'd, I'd check it now. And so they checked it now. And sure enough, have we not checked it now, and this is the creepy part, I would probably have died because it was a really fast growing thing. By the time I had a surgeon and everything nailed down, it had quadrupled in size. And I was just, it was just freaky. And I never had imagined, I mean, I feel immortal, you know, I'm strong. I try to do everything. I've been through some rough times, you know, but I was really kind of thought I was doing well. And so it was a real blow and it becomes a lifestyle breast cancer. And we had surgery. I, I had, we, me and my boobs had surgery and I thought I was fine. And then suddenly, oh no, you have to do all this stuff to prevent it coming back. The whole chemo and radiation and all the drugs for years and years. And it just struck me that so many women go through this and you don't feel like it's a thing. And then seeing the pink, it's like, yeah, yeah, we know. And yet that really does save lives for people to get checked. 
So the experience, I mean, I, I really resented people to say, oh, you have to be grateful for your life because I always was a person who will smell a flower and be really happy about it, you know, but I really do feel like I got lucky and I survived for a reason. And so anything that I can do to help women be kinder to themselves, you know, and take better care of themselves and ask for help so we don't have this kind of responsibility and get childcare and get fair everything so that we're not so stressed out because we're getting, this is killing us. You know, we don't need all this responsibility and our culture is really contributed in a bad way by objectifying our breasts to make them for men instead of just this wonderful women baby thing. And I'm part of the culture. So, I mean, I have implants. I, I liked when I got them. I mean, I didn't mean to get them. It was, it was a whole deal, but I think it's a, it's a double-edged sword being beautiful. We want to be beautiful. We live here and yet our breasts, they feed our babies and they can kill us. And I, so now I'm kind of all about self-care. I don't think it's a cliche or a trend on Instagram. I think it's really important every day we have to do something just kind to ourselves and we have to not be afraid to ask for help. And we need childcare. <laughs> we'll never be equal because that's just how our bodies are built. Did, did my so. mother call you, like tell you <laughs> to say this to me? Because she was literally on the phone with me yesterday, like saying the same thing, like take no. care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself. Well, so, but so my friends, I, I kind of have a habit of now saying, so what are you doing for yourself today? So Zibby, what are you doing for yourself today? And it can't be exercise. And if you know, <laughs> yeah, but this is kind of work. This is what you do. You know, you have to do something just for yourself, even if it's just five minutes to chill out or something unrelated to work or exercise or your kids. I mean, you have to really, it's like the oxygen mask on yourself. That seems like a cliche. It's true. It's but really I true. Do, and I, I really think your physical. I do believe my work is a form of self-care for me because I like created it to do something that I would bring my whole self to and would enjoy. So I oh, feel like magical. I've like cheated the whole thing, you know? Because you love what you do. Stress me out. Right. Because you still have deadlines and obligations. And yeah, you but know. like when I say, when I'm, I'm not really joking, like doing this conversation with you, I will now be able to go out and deal with the rest of the day with the kids and all right, in a much better way. Okay. So I have these like built in resets. All right. But I would like to, I should like take a walk or something. I guess I should take a walk. Okay, fine. I'll but it doesn't need to be a chore. You can just sit down and like clip your nails or watch some garbage TV for five minutes. I mean, just something that, allows your body to reset, you know, cause we're just on go all the time. And I didn't realize that. And I'm just as bad at it. What you do know? you do for self-care then? I try to walk at the beach. Like this morning, I didn't have time. So I just walked around the block, but I listened to a podcast and, you know, and I just really try to notice things outside of myself. I guess they would say mindfulness, but it it's weird. It's like our bodies, our minds are physical. It's all together. So to answer your original question, <laughs> breast cancer, I don't want to be the breast cancer person. I mean, I sick of pink was my kind of nickname on the chemo I'm sorry, boards. I didn't mean to make you- No, 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 that's, I didn't mean that. I, no, my, my point is, I don't think anyone who gets sick should let cancer define them. So for me, like in the book, only two chapters are on breast cancer. I know, cancer. I know, I, yeah. I'm sorry. No, 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 but it like, is, but it is really important. I'm drawn to like <laughs> overcoming challenging things. So I just- Of course. I think life is really challenging and we should, we should try to be like, treat ourselves like little kittens, you know, give ourselves that love or, or treat ourselves like we would a best friend. I think we're really hard on ourselves, women, because it's our job to take care of everybody. So that's kind of what I learned from having, being sick (laughs) and I don't want to get sick again. So I'm like, but I also, I also feel like, you know, I want to get this book out. I want, cause I think that's part of the message. And I do feel like I have things I want to do on this earth before I die. Cause I feel like 
that could be taken away from me anytime. So it did make me feel more mortal, mm-hmm. you know, and yet well, I'm not quite as strict about, you know, certain things like I'll have a cupcake. <laughs> oh yeah. I just had a cookie and I didn't even have cancer. So you know, <laughs> what is on your bucket list? What do you still want to do? I want to write, I'm working on another book. I want to finish that. This book was picked up. Selma Hayek is making it into a TV series for HBO Max. So and I really want to do that. I want, I want to see that in it. My boobs are going to talk. Main character is named <laughs> Leslie. So, and she is in it in a really funny part, but I want to be, and, and I'm, I'm not writing it. It's not the book because like totally me, but I just want to enjoy myself. I want to take the time and I want these projects. I want to see them, you know, kind of get out in the world. Cause I kind of feel like as a writer, we get the chance to be, have a voice and that's the kind of writer I am. I'm not like, oh, I'm horrible at marketing and technology and stuff. I, and I have a lot of clients I work with who do various things and I'm really good at story structure. So I deal with that, but I can't like write a book every six months or a science series or something. I really only write because of I, I mean, I, my first book was this Welcome to the Club Mom. It was essentially a bunch of rants about how weird it was to be a mom and stuck at home and it was great, but oh my God. And I kind of, every book I write has something that I want to say and it gives me a, a way to say it and get heard, you know? And so that's, that's what I like to do is I like to get my opinion out and writing it down is a way to do that. So, and so what is this next book about? Can you say? It's a novel and it has similar themes, you know, it has, it's a period piece, but in a very cool period and it has, you know, but it it kind of brings in everything about with relationships and betrayal and family and different races. And it's like this whole microcosm of, an example of everything. And it's a real outgrowth of this. And also it's based on something that really happened in my life. And I'd wait for certain people to, to die to oh. write it. And now it's like, oh, now I can write it. And now I can do it in different points of view to see what they were really thinking. And I can make it into a story that has a nice resolution. So that's for me, okay. you know, what novels are. And in this book, in a boob's life, yeah. what was really fun also was seeing the patterns of all the stuff that happened in my life, not just in my boobs, but in my relationships and in my family my mom and my dad and, you know, my ex-husband who's no longer with us and my current husband. And just to see how the relationships of men and women are so related to our boobs and our identity and pulling it towards this conclusion of, okay, here's how we got to today. And here's how we can try and make the world a better place. And it kind of can start with our boobs, you know, so it all relates. I really loved how you showed us the relationship between your parents and what, your mom, when she went through her really hard time, I mean, that scene was amazing where you were, when you found out that she was like comatose on the, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah. that's like a scene. It's your life. I'm sorry. I'm like, yeah, that's a great scene you wrote there, but. Well, I, I expanded it in a fictional way in the next thing, but it's like, okay. because, yeah, because it's weird. It's like, I think you when. You didn't write that much about it, by the way. No, you one wrote- sentence. What, and I was like, wait, wait, what, what, what is this? And I like, so I like keep prep reading. I went back and read like before and after I was like, did I miss something? Where is the whole story? Was your mom like, tell me, maybe go into that, like a smidge more. Well, I'll, I'll go into that in, in my novel in a okay. fictional way. Okay. But, um, but she's the point. I mean, for me, it's like, I, I had so many things like that in this book that are just these little, oh yeah. And then, but I, you can't go back into them because I wanted to focus on the boobs and how we got out it. And my mom is fine today. She's you know, she actually just read The Boob's Life. It was, you know, tricky. I actually didn't want her to read it while I was writing because I didn't want her to, she would influence me 
I would like make it all good for her. And I did, I was very careful, as you say. And I, even with my dad, he hasn't read it yet either, but I'm sure he will any minute now. <laughs> and I hope that by, the, and even my ex, I hope that by the end, they understand that I understand how the culture created the situation where we all have these expectations for our lives that has to do with having boobs and how people, we think, judge ourselves and what our expectations are with uh, the other sex. So I kind of give everybody a pass, you know? But because we have to live here, but I think if we're aware of how we are and how things are, we can kind of do better and be better for other people. But anyway, my mom now did read the book and and loves it. She's very happy with it. So whew. good. <laughs> Wow. Also, I think when you tell, tell, when you say anyone in any books, here's writer tip, anyone you want to talk about, just say they're beautiful mm-hmm. or if they're man, they're really well endowed and you can pretty much get away with everything. <laughs> <laughs> you were super complimentary about your dad. I mean, in the beginning, like what he looked like, this like tall bronze Pl- Princeton guy and, you know, obviously your feelings about him, like, you know, yeah. Anyway, but at least physically as a specimen. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was, he, you know, and he was a, a prime example of the Playboy man and, and the Mr. America. And he still is that way. Only now that's, you know, that has shifted. It's a very tricky thing. I think for many of us who have family members who we don't agree with, and yet they so have influenced us through our lives and it's hard. How do you love them and still think, how can you, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So there's a lot of that in the book, but clearly he was a boob man. And like many in that generation, grown up with Playboy. And then we were raised with Victoria's Secret. You know, my daughters, you know, you're 13, you go in there and, and then you want to be an angel. And those women are freaks of nature. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a strange culture we live in. And I just want everybody to know that I'm not the only one who's obsessed. We all are. We take it for granted. We don't even, you know, it's insidious kind mm-hmm. of. It's like we don't realize how much. And even me, I'll see someone like I'm now getting, you know, reach outs from people I know from high school. I went, I grew up in Ohio and what some part girls, of suburb of Columbus, Upper Arlington. Yeah. My family is from Dayton. My family is. Oh, Dayton. Right, Pat. I went to a lot of swim meets. There actually, when Keating gave out gold dollars for people, if you won your heat at the swimming, and it was Keating right before the big scandal. Anyway, so yeah, I, I know about that. Oh, Dayton had a pretty pool. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I anyway, got you off somebody track. reached out. Somebody reached out from high school, and I'm thinking she had really big boobs in high in high school, or junior high, and I thought, oh, she's so tacky, and she was really popular with the older guys. And now I think. She has no idea I thought that. She's being really nice to me. And that was my judgment because we think, oh, people with big boobs are techie. And and, and and I, like, when I did get a boob job, I was like, no, I'm an intellectual. I need to be more flat-chested, you know, but I did want to feel womanly. But it's it's now, I mean, Dolly Parton and Salma Hayek have used their boob power for good. So I'm all for whatever it takes to get attention so that you can do good things like give money to COVID and be, you know, really influential and empowering women and make great movies like Salma Hayek. So I think that we, you know, and I don't, I don't, I like the note to know that I automatically judge women by how they look. And though I judge myself too. And I think that's just part of our awareness and the obsession that we don't realize we have because we all have boobs every day. We get up, like you said, got to do something with them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you have feelings about them. Everyone has boob stories, right? So I'd like to hear all of them, you know, but mostly I just want people to love your boobs and whether that means you're going to do something with them or not. It's your choice. It's your body. Just be aware that that's really what I'm, I'm calling for. It's just to let people know this is a big thing. Love it. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Oh yeah. I would say first 
read a lot. It's amazing how many people want to write who don't read and read like a writer. If you read a book and afterwards think about how they constructed it, because that magic didn't come easy. And also study the craft. I'm big on craft and get your butt in the chair. That's the biggest challenge, you know, keep your butt in the chair. And then obviously I only write about things that I have real passion about. I mean, I have, sometimes I'll have clients because I work with other writers who will say, well, should I write this or this or this? And it's like, we can go through and see which will actually make the best story in terms of a desire line and all that kind of stuff. But if they don't really care, probably shouldn't write any of them because writing is hard. It takes a really long time. You're alone. You're crazy. Like with people in your head for hours, you know, and I don't believe you have to write every day. I think women can't do that. We have other responsibilities, but it's, if a story is strong enough to be staying in your head, that's one you got to write about. And um, even this book took a really long time to both write. And I was constantly updating it. I even updated it after the election. That's why it was coming out during international women's month. You know, that was all intentional and it's just, it's, it's a long haul, but you can't, one thing my dad did always tell me is that you can't fail till you quit. And I think writing is one of those things that it's a vocation. So don't do it if you can not do it because it's really hard. But when you do it, it's like, then you have something that's like everything in your heart that you wanted to say and other people get to hear it. And whether they like it or not, you've had a chance to have an opinion out there. So it's very exciting. It is very exciting. And it allows you to connect with people. Like I felt like I read this book and then like we were already in the middle of a conversation by the time we started talking. <laughs> That's right. We're already friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Leslie, thank you. I'm so glad we got to chat and I hope we get to meet in real life and I'm excited for your book and love the story and we'll be holding my breath alongside you to hear what your dad has to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Zibby. I've just been, I mean, now I can listen to you every day on your podcast and think, I got to talk to Zibby too. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm so thrilled. I can't tell you. Oh, really I'm so glad. I'm so so glad. thank you so much. And love your boobs. Okay. You too. Work. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll try. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 